Thanks for listening to the Journey Christian Church podcast. We're on a mission to make disciples who love God, love people, and serve the world. Our prayer is that this message encourages you today. And remember, Journey is a place where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and through Jesus, anything is possible. Last week in our, turn, in our series, Turning Trauma into Triumph, which is a study of the biblical story of the life of Joseph, we saw how Joseph dealt with the temptations of power and sex. But today, we're going to see how Joseph deals with perhaps the greatest temptation of all, the temptation to despair. Because, here's what we know, life just doesn't play fair, right? One of the biggest themes in the life of Joseph, and the reason why I think so many people are drawn to it, is how we learn to treat mistreatment. You see, it's one thing in life to get what you deserve. I have dealt with a lot of tough, tough situations in my life that I created. Pastor Andy Stanley says this. He says, I've personally participated in all of my bad decisions. <laughs> I think we could all amen that, right? I love the story of the RV dealer who hears a strange, weird noise outside of his office late at night. He goes outside to check it out, and he sees a teenage boy just violently retching and vomiting. As the boy began to recover, he explained to the RV owner that he had tried to siphon gas from one of the RV's gas tanks. Now, for those of us who are not criminally minded, let me explain the concept of siphoning gas. Actually, I had to look this up myself as I am unfamiliar with such lawlessness. You stick a rubber hose into the gas tank you're trying to get gas from. You suck the gas up through the tube until it gets in your mouth. Then you spit it out, and you stick the hose into your gas can or gas tank. That's how you steal or siphon gas, so I'm told. Well, the only problem is that this young man didn't put the hose in the RV's gas tank. Instead, he mistakenly put it into the sewage tank. The RV owner decided not to press charges because he felt like the teenager had suffered enough. You know what? Sometimes you get exactly what you deserve. But sometimes people get what they don't deserve. And that's a problem, especially if that person is me. Last week, we saw Joseph get sent to prison. And he did not deserve to be there. By the way, if you're just joining us for this series, where have you been? You have missed some of the most riveting family drama that's recorded not only in Scripture, but in all of literature. So I want to encourage you, go back and catch up on the messages that you've missed. I promise it will be worth your time. But even if you're just hearing about this series for the first time, let me assure you that the best parts of the story are yet to come. So stick with us. I'm going to go out on a limb here today. I could be wrong about what I'm going to say next, but my guess is that most of you have not been in jail, but all of you have spent time in a cell. Let me explain. 
All of us have spent a season of our life in a place, a situation, a setting, maybe a job or relationship that felt like you were in a prison and you felt like you didn't deserve to be there. You were in a bankruptcy situation, not because of something that you had done, but because somebody else was unethical or the economy acted in a way that you couldn't control. You were in a divorce court, not because you broke your vows, but because somebody else failed to keep the covenant they pledged before God and witnesses to keep. You're in a hospital room with a serious health problem, having done everything the doctor and medical experts told you to do to avoid being in that place. You're in a counselor's office dealing with a painful intervention because a loved one has a drug addiction that has devastated your entire family. Here's, here's my guess. My guess is everybody joining us online or in Lake County or in Apopka have been in a cell that felt constricting. It felt like bondage. And you ask yourself, how did I get here? I didn't do anything to deserve to be here. And yet here I am. That's why we could all use some selling points when we encounter undeserved trauma. And Joseph is going to help us. One of my preaching mentors, Pastor Rick Atchley, came up with that title and much of the content that I'm going to share with you today. To set this up, we're going to read Genesis chapter 40, and we're going to read the whole chapter. So open up uh, in your Bible or your Bible app, and follow, or you can follow along right here. Here we go. Sometime later, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt offended their master, the king of Egypt. Pharaoh was angry with his two officials, the chief cupbearer and the chief baker, and put them in custody in the house of the captain of the guard in the same prison where Joseph was confined. Question, why would a king imprison the people who were responsible for what he ate and what he drank? Probably because someone tried to poison him and failed, or he feared someone would attempt to poison him and succeed. The captain of the guard assigned them to Joseph. And he attended them. After they'd been in custody for some time, each of the two men, the cupbearer and the baker of the king of Egypt, who were being held in prison, had a dream the same night. And each dream had a meaning of its own. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw that they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? We both had dreams, they answered, but there's no one to interpret them. Then Joseph said to them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me your dreams. So the chief cupbearer told Joseph his dream. He said to him, in my dream, I saw a vine in front of me, and on the vine were three branches. As soon as it budded, it blossomed, and the clusters ripened into grapes. Pharaoh's cup was in my hand. I took the grapes, squeezed them into Pharaoh's cup, and put it in his hand. This is what it means, Joseph said to him. The three branches are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position, and you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand just as you used to do when you were his cupbearer. But when all goes well with you, remember me 
and show me kindness. Mention me to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews, and even here, I have done nothing to deserve being put in a dungeon. Side point. It's okay to stand up for yourself. It's okay to advocate for just treatment for yourself under the law. Joseph said, I've done nothing to deserve to be here. I've been forcibly and terribly wronged, and I want out of here. God loves justice. According to Psalm 33, 5, the Lord loves righteousness and justice, and he commands us to seek it not only for ourselves but for others who are made in his image. That's what the Proverbs writer said in Proverbs 31. Speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves, for the rights of all who are destitute. Speak up and judge fairly. Defend the rights of the poor and needy. So it's okay. In fact, it's way more than okay. It's being obedient to advocate for righteousness and justice for all. When the chief baker saw that Joseph had given a favorable interpretation... He said to Joseph, I too had a dream. On my head were three baskets of bread. In the top basket were all kinds of baked goods for Pharaoh, but the birds were eating them out of the basket on my head. This is what it means, Joseph said. The three days, the three baskets are three days. Within three days, Pharaoh will lift off your head and impale your body on a pole, and the birds will eat away your flesh. Got any more dreams? Time out. Total transparency here. If you were Joseph, would you have said that to him? I'd be tempted to say something like this. Mm, wow, that's a tough one to interpret. In fact, it's going to take me three or four days to tell you exactly what that means. Come back to me then. In the meantime, don't buy any green bananas. I would be tempted to be like the distinguished author who was hired by a wealthy woman to write her biography. During his research on her ancestors, the author discovered that one of her great-grandfathers had been executed in the electric chair in a federal prison. He wanted to write the truth, but he wanted to do it in a way that that troublesome detail would not be so obvious. So he wrote this in her biography. One of her great-grandfathers occupied a chair of applied electronics in an important government institution. (laughs) He was attached to his position by the strongest of ties, and his death came as a real shock. Joseph told the truth to the baker, even though it was hard to say, and no doubt even harder to hear. We wrap up the chapter. Now, the third day was Pharaoh's birthday, and he gave a feast for all his officials. He lifted up the heads of the chief cupbearer and the chief baker in the presence of his officials. He restored the chief cupbearer to his position so that he once again put the cup into Pharaoh's hand, but he impaled the chief baker just as Joseph has said, had said to them in his interpretation. And here's the last line. The chief cupbearer, however, did not remember Joseph. He forgot him. Throughout this text, there are several references to time. Did you notice that? Chapter 40 begins by saying, some time later. Again, after they'd been in custody... For some time. The first verse of the next chapter, chapter 41, begins when two full years had passed. In short, Joseph spent a lot of time 
in jail. We're told he was 17 when he was sold by his brothers into Egypt, and then we're told he was 30 when Pharaoh promotes him to be his second in command. So that's 13 years. What we don't know is how many of those 13 years Joseph spent in prison. Was he in Potiphar's household seven years and then six years in prison? Was he in Potiphar's household three years and then 10 years in prison? We don't know. What we do know is Joseph spent some of the best years of his life in the worst possible place. The whole decade of his 20s, Joseph was in jail for something he didn't do. Can you remember your 20s? Oh, if we had the wisdom we have now, we would have used those years better, wouldn't we? Remember when you were 20 and you could go to the pool and take off your shirt and nobody gagged? (laughs) When all your hair was the same color and it was on your head instead of coming out of your ears and out of your nose? Listen, you don't want to waste your 20s. Joseph spent them in a cell that he didn't deserve to be in. But I want us to see today is that the years he spent waiting weren't years wasted. The Hebrew people like to sing about the experiences of their life and their history. Many of them are written down in a book that we call the Psalms. We read, this, we, we read this particular psalm the first week of our study in the life of Joseph, but I want to come back to Psalms 105, and particularly verses 17 and 19 as they pertain to Joseph. The psalmist wrote this, then he, God, sent someone to Egypt ahead of them, Joseph, who was sold as a slave. They bruised his feet with fetters and placed his neck in an iron collar until the time came to fulfill his dreams, the Lord tested Joseph's character. Joseph was being tested by God in his cell time, and may I say, so are you. So the main thing I want to tell you today is this, don't fail time in a cell. It would have been so easy for Joseph in the cell to sell out his dream. He could have thought, maybe I was just imagining those dreams when I was younger. Maybe I had a bad bagel. Maybe God doesn't have jurisdiction down here in Egypt. Maybe God's just a God over the dirt in Canaan. What good has it done me to do good? I'm not sure God even knows or cares what I'm going through. The surprise is not that Joseph would have thought such things. That would be expected. The surprise is, even when Joseph was stuck in a cell, he stuck with God because God stuck with him. The last chapter before the one we read today ends by saying a phrase that pops up in the most painful and perplexing periods in Joseph's life. But while Joseph was there in the prison, the Lord was with him. And he showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Joseph understood that this testing ground was holy ground and that what others would call incarceration, he would call preparation. Listen, future ministry is often refined by present captivity. Future ministry is often refined by present captivity. It's Moses relegated to the wilderness for 40 years. It's Daniel dragged off in chains 
to Babylon. It's Paul being thrown into one prison in one city after another. It's John being exiled on the island of Patmos. In each of these situations, powerful and fruitful ministry grew out of and from captivity. Because the sails of life can separate you from God's presence in your life and God's purpose for your life. So don't waste the wait and don't fail time in the cell. I want to give you three very specific selling points that we learn from Joseph in his cell. Selling point number one, empathize, don't idolize. Empathize, don't idolize. Time in a cell tends to make a person self-absorbed. When I find myself in a bad place that I, think, that I don't think I deserve to be in, my tendency is to throw a big old pity party for myself, and I'm the guest of honor. And yet the first recorded words of Joseph in this cell are words of kindness and empathy to somebody else. When Joseph came to them the next morning, he saw they were dejected. So he asked Pharaoh's officials who were in custody with him in his master's house, why do you look so sad today? Side note, this is the same Joseph who once could not pick up on the fact that his brothers were so filled with hurt and hatred towards him that they could not speak a kind word to him. Now he notices the pain of others. And he asks them, what's wrong? What's happening here? Joseph is emotionally maturing. Joseph is becoming less self-absorbed. Joseph is becoming more aware of the feelings of others around him. And then when he found out that what was bothering these guys had to do with their dreams, Joseph could have easily and understandably said, I'm not going there again. Last time I talked about dreams, my life took a bad turn. No thank you. No speaking to the Egyptian. <laughs> but Joseph went there. The first thing God is going to test in a cell is how you treat other people. You see, there's two extremes we have to avoid. The first is to just build a wall around us that keeps everybody out. And we tell ourselves, hey, I got hurt badly by some people once, and I'm never going to let that happen again. Hurt me once, shame on you. Hurt me twice, shame on me. But the other extreme is one that so many of us aren't even aware of. We can build a pedestal to place people on and make them our functional savior. You say, John, what are you talking about? I'm saying that often when we found ourselves in a bad spot, and we put on someone else the job of rescuing and saving your life, you can come to idolize them. Let me be more specific. You want a prescription for a lousy marriage if you're married? You want a prescription for a lousy marriage? Make it the job of your mate to keep you happy. To give you something in the deepest part of your soul that only God can give you. You want to embitter your children? Put on them the pressure of making you look important in the eyes of others. Make it their job to make you feel good about yourself. What happens when you idolize others, when you make someone your functional savior? I'll tell you what happens. They will always let you down like the cupbearer did to Joseph. That's why one of my favorite definitions of leadership goes like this. Leadership is the art of disappointing people at a rate they can stand. So don't idolize people. Instead, strategize how you can serve them. Here's what I want to tell you. Choose ministry over misery. Everybody say that with me right now. Lake County, online, Apopka, say it out loud. 
Choose ministry over misery. Here's what we learn in the cell. The cell is a great place to grow your empathy capacity. It's a great place to grow your empathy capacity. You say, what am I talking about? Listen to Paul explain it. Paul wrote to the Corinthians, all praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. God is our merciful Father and the source of all comfort. He comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort others. When they are troubled, we will be able to give them the same comfort God has given us. Have you ever considered that in your cell time, God's given you the insights. He's given you the wisdom. He's given you often the resources to help other people in their cell. Let me illustrate this practically right now. Everybody participate at all of our campuses, online, Lake County, here in Apopka. Would you mind holding up your hand right now? If you are, hang on, let me tell you what you're holding up for. (laughs) Well, you're an obedient group. I like that. Be careful when somebody tells you to hold your hand up. Would you mind holding up your hand right now if someone You or someone in your family has struggled with COVID over the last several months. Or how about with cancer? Would you mind holding up your hand if you or someone in your family has been through a divorce? Would you mind holding up your hand if you have ever been in a serious season of financial distress? Would you hold up your hand if someone in your family has dealt with substance abuse issues? Now, this room, and I'm sure the room at Lake County, and in the living rooms around the world watching online right now, are filled with people who know what it's like to be in a cell. And you know what that means? The potential for ministry in these rooms to help hurting people is limitless. Amen? It's limitless. Some of you have seen the movie that came out several years ago called Soul Surfer. It's about a young woman named Bethany Hamilton. She was a competitive surfer who was attacked by a shark when she was 14, lost her left arm. And yet she has turned this harsh adversity into a hope-giving ministry. I love this statement from her. Here's what Bethany Hamilton said. She said, I've had the chance to embrace more people with one arm than I ever could with two. Her misery, her cell became her ministry. So cancel the invitations to your pity party and love the people in and around your cell. You see, listen, you don't have to be released in order to release blessing and relieve burdens. So selling point number one, empathize, don't idolize. Selling point number two, wait instead of hate. Wait instead of hate. Attendance in the school of patient expectation is mandatory in God's character testing course. The psalmist said it this way, be still in the presence of the Lord. Wait patiently for him to act. Don't worry about evil people who prosper or fret about their wicked Schemes. Notice that the option to waiting on the Lord, according to the psalmist, is to get bitter at people, to think they don't deserve to prosper and to hate on them, particularly if they are the people that you think are responsible for your cell. Listen, a cell can be a wonderful place to water and feed the root of bitterness that grows into resentment and cynicism. 
But I want to tell you, it never turns out right for those who keep a record of wrongs. I have never seen a person who chose the path of staying bitter who got better. Never. Not one time. A pastor named Tim Brown relates this personal lesson in forgiveness. He said, some time ago, I was having lunch at McDonald's with my daughter and mother-in-law. We were enjoying a pleasant conversation when a man with his wife and children plopped down at a nearby table. The man was someone who in the past had hurt me. We faked pleasantries, exchanged hellos, but I could feel my blood begin to boil at the thought of what he had done to me. This person had wounded me badly, and I was surprised about how much hurt I still felt. My family and I gobbled down our food, and on the way out of the restaurant, I overheard my enemy and his wife arguing because neither had money to purchase the food they'd ordered. Their kids were screaming for their Happy Meals. The couple was embarrassed. And Pastor Brown said, my first thought was, praise God, there's justice in this world. He deserves every bit of the embarrassment he's feeling, and I'm so glad I got to see this. But Pastor Brown said, suddenly God spoke to me through the very scripture text that I'd read that morning. Here was the text. Do not repay anyone evil for evil. Be careful to do what is right in the eyes of everybody. If it's possible, as far as it depends on you, live at peace with everyone. Do not take revenge, my friends. But leave room for God's wrath, for it is written, it's mine to avenge. I will repay, says the Lord. On the contrary, if your enemy's hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. Pastor Brown says, God was saying to me, here's your chance to be set free of your pain and overcome your hurt. I knew, he said, I had a choice either to obey or bask in my bitterness. Somewhat reluctantly, I reached into my wallet. I pulled out $20. And I gave it to this man who'd been my enemy. And I said, here you go, have lunch on me with tears in my eyes. And then he walked away. Now listen, I don't know Pastor Tim Brown personally, but I do know this about him. He got freer that day. He let go of something that had a hold on his heart for too long. And he walked out better and less bitter. Listen, don't curse the person you think created yourself. Don't nurse the wound and let that become your identity. Do rehearse God's calling and capability to pursue your dream. A closed door could be a divine detour to something even better than you could have imagined. So stay focused on God's faithfulness and don't waste the wait. I like what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 5. He said, we can rejoice too when we run into problems and trials. Now, we usually don't, but we could. We can rejoice too. When we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance, and endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. We've said it so many times here, God cares a lot more about your character than he does about your comfort. And I want to tell you why. Because people of character have a substance in their soul that people who have no story of struggle simply don't. God is going to do a work in you before he does a work through you, and God never rushes his work, and he's very good at his job. So wait instead of hate. Selling point number three, prepare instead of despair. God's tests today are preparing you for opportunities tomorrow. Listen, think of all that Joseph learned about the political system of Egypt talking to these two high-ranking officials of Pharaoh. He's learning all about the ins and outs of the courts of Pharaoh. Little did he know 
how valuable the information they gave him then would be incredibly useful later. Think about how much Joseph learned about running Pharaoh's prison later helped him someday in a way he couldn't even imagine at the time to run Pharaoh's country. Your present faithfulness in your cell is equipping you for future fruitfulness in the kingdom. In hindsight, we can look back and see how that works. But here's the challenge, to have faith in the moment, to believe that in this moment right now, God is going to use and teach and mold and shape me for something that is not yet. This is a key kingdom principle that Jesus taught. Jesus said in Matthew 25, you have been faithful with a few things. I will put you in charge of many things. Daddy Jacob told Joseph to watch over his brothers. He may not have liked it or understood it, but he did it, and he did it well, maybe a little too well. Potiphar told him to watch over his house. He did his job well. The warden told him to watch over his prison. He did his job well. Wherever you put Joseph, he did faithfully what he was assigned, not realizing that God was preparing him for something much bigger every step of the way. We don't always see what God's preparing us for. So we walk and we work by faith. Some of you my age will remember the old Karate Kid Movie. Anybody remember that movie, The Karate Kid? Not the one with Will Smith's son. The original one with Ralph Macchio and Pat Morita as Mr. Niagi. Now, younger people are more likely to know the Netflix series Cobra Kai, which is based off this movie. But the old Karate Kid had an adolescent boy named Daniel who was going to learn karate from a martial arts master named Mr. Miyagi. He's all excited on the first day he shows up, and he's disappointed when Mr. Miyagi says to him, wax car, wax on, wax off. And he goes along with it. He comes back the next day. Mr. Miyagi says, paint fence, up, down, up, down. Next day he comes back, Mr. Miyagi says, sand floor. And Daniel just explodes, thinking this old guy's just taking advantage of him to get free work done around his house. Little knowing that all of those seemingly wasted days of waxing and painting and sanding were preparing him to become proficient in the practice of karate. At least that's what the movie wants you to believe. He can't see in the middle of the mundane moments that he's being masterfully prepared for something greater to come later. Friends, God has a way of taking your test and turning it into your testimony. God has a way of taking your test and turning it into your testimony. So maybe instead of asking God to get you out of that cell, you should ask God to use that cell to get the most out of you. Now let me say this as we wrap up. If you trust in God, and you've accepted the lordship of his son, Jesus Christ, selling, C-E-L-L-I-N-G, is really a calling. Now, some people don't really accept the lordship of Jesus. They just want sell insurance. In other words, they want to strike some kind of bargain with God that says, God, I'll do this for you, and you promise me I'll never have to go in a sale. But when you really surrender to Jesus... Selling becomes a calling. That's something that those of us in the church, in the Western world, can learn so much 
from our brothers and sisters in Christ around the world. John Cortinas and Gregory Balmer in their book, True Riches, talk about an American pastor who visited a country overseas that is experiencing explosive growth in their Christian population. The American pastor was told by a local pastor from that country, they have a five-fold plan to grow believers in the church. Five things every day. They want every Christian to do these five things. Read the Bible, pray, talk about Jesus with someone, expect a miracle, and develop a theology of suffering. They told this pastor of a large church in America that they have learned that God can move more powerfully through the sufferings of his people than through their comforts, and they want to be able to suffer well for the glory of God. I got to tell you, this is a way of thinking that is counter to almost everything about the current condition of our country and culture that continually seeks more comfort, more provision, and less hardship. It's hard to wrap our minds around what a theology of suffering even is and would look like. And yet maybe they're onto something in other countries. Rather than always driving toward more security and greater safety, they live simply preparing their hearts for the struggles of head. Now, you may be thinking, who does that? Well, for one, Jesus did. Let me ask you. When you decided to follow Jesus as your Savior and Lord, if you did, if you decided to follow Jesus as your Savior and Lord, if you did, did you not notice that he had scars? A follower of Jesus named Peter put it this way. A person might have to suffer even when it's unfair. But if he thinks of God and can stand the pain, God is pleased. This is what you were called to do because Christ suffered for you and gave you an example to follow so you should do as he did. Selling is a calling if you follow Jesus Christ. So don't sell the call except the call of the sale. Because you know that God is going to remember you even if everybody else forgets you. And we remember once more that God can turn ashes to beauty, mourning to dancing, despair into delight, shepherd boys into kings, lions in their lair into a harmless petting zoo, water into wine, a few fish and a couple of loaves into of bread into a feast for a multitude, a hardened sinner into a daring disciple, a doubting disciple into a messenger of hope, a scandalous past into a story of redemption, a Roman cross into a symbol of forgiveness, a graveyard of death into a garden of life, and a trauma meant to take something into a triumph that's meant to take over. Just stand with me right now. Lake County, would you stand? Mapopka, stand. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you that you have given us the story of Joseph, and particularly the lesson today. We need it so much because life isn't fair, but you are good. 
And we want to say that right now. Life isn't fair, but God is good. And we want to thank you that even in the selling points of our life, you teach us so much. You prepare us. You shape us. And so we pray. And I pray right now for anyone that feels like they're in a cell here in Apopka at Lake County or anyone watching online. I pray, Father, that they might know that you are with them. You will not forget them. And I pray they will not forget who you are. Jesus, Son of God, Lord of all, Savior of the world. We pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. If you like this podcast, we post a new message every week. So make sure to click that follow button and share it with your friends. Remember, Journey is a place where everybody's welcome, nobody's perfect, and through Jesus, anything is possible.